Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Just a little bit of teaching before I preach tonight. There are those that tell me that my style of preaching does not reach this modern generation. Now, I know that preaching generational, but you're pretty safe if you just preach the word. You know? You hear what I'm saying? Now, Thomas sang a song that was older than he was. <laughs> I got news for you, Thomas. Most of them older than I am, and that's pretty old. <laughs> I got age spots older than you are. I was preaching revival all about a year, a little old year ago. Big church up in Tennessee. We had an awesome meeting. And I was telling them about how I surrendered to preach when I was 19 years old. I was just a kid preacher. I had preached twice. That's all the experience I had. I was raised in a little country church. Didn't have 50, 60 folks in it. And uh, I had preached twice. And we lived in the country, and we were one of the first ones to get a telephone. And it was a party line. How many of y'all remember the party line? There were seven families on our party line. And you better be dying if you needed to talk to somebody on the party line. But for some reason, it had to be God. This preacher, I didn't even know him. He pastored a little church down near where I went to high school. And graduated just a few months before this. And uh, he called and he got through. And he asked my mama, she, he said, is Sid there? Yes, sir. I'll get him. She got me. I didn't know who in the world was calling me because nobody ever called me. I got on the phone. He said, Sid, you don't know me. I'm pastor down here at Center Hill Church. And I heard you surrendered to preach. I said, yes, sir, I sure have. And he said, well, son, I want you to come down and preach a revival. And I didn't have a clue. I said, brother, I said, brother what, what, what do you mean? Me come? He said, I want you to come down and start on Sunday morning and preach for us through Friday night. And I got to count them. One, two, three, four, seven sermons. I don't have but two. But I told God, I said, God, if you open the door for me to preach, I'll preach wherever you open the door. I said, okay. He said, no, no, I've been rethinking that. Let's do morning services too. Four, five, six, <laughs> Fourteen sermons, I ain't got but two. How in the world am I going to survive this? But I accepted, and so the time came, and I went off down there. I just foolish kid. I didn't know what I was doing. I walked in that morning, and. First person I saw was this little old lady. She was about her 70s. She was a sweet little old lady. And she said, are you our preacher this week? I said, yes, ma'am. I guess so. And she said, that's good. I'm the church hostess. I need to talk to you. I said, okay. I never heard that term before. I didn't know what a church hostess was. 
And uh, I said, uh, but before we talk, could you excuse me just a minute? And I stepped in this Sunday school room there, and I closed the door, I got my Bible, I got the concordance out, and I started looking. I found prophet, I found prophetess, I found preacher, I found pastor, I found deacon, I found deacon, I found a whole lot of stuff, but I ain't found hostess yet. <laughs> so I stepped back out there, and I said, ma'am, I, I apologize, I'm just a kid, I don't know anything, and, and ma'am, what is a church hostess? And she laughed, and she said, son, I'm in charge of feeding you this week. I said, you going to feed me? <laughs> she said, every day for lunch and every night for supper. And then she said, what do you like to eat? And I said, ma'am, you never go wrong with fried chicken. <laughs> Having no idea that every day for lunch and every night for supper that whole week, that's what we had was fried chicken. Well, somehow I managed to get through all those 14 sermons, and I got to Friday night, and I stood up, and I thanked them for their generosity and their kindness and their hospitality and for putting up with a kid that just really didn't know what he was doing. And I prayed that I'd helped them more than I hurt them and that kind of thing. But I told them, I said, now, folks, i got to tell you something. When that church hostess asked me Sunday about what I like to eat, I said fried chicken. I never had any idea. No idea that I'd be having chicken every day for lunch and every night for supper. And I want to tell you something. I want you to hear me. I'm not tired of it. Don't think I'll ever get tired of it. But I'm telling you, I've eaten so much chicken this week, I don't even go to bed at night. I just roll the mattress up and roost on the bed slats. Now, generationally, most of us in this room get that. But now there's a few of these young people today, they don't, get it, they don't get that. So anyhow, I told that story up in this big church in Tennessee. After church, the pastor and his wife carried me to supper. We're sitting there eating supper. The pastor said, Brother Sid, i got to tell you something. I said, what? He said, my daughter is brilliant. She never made anything but an A in her entire life. She breezed through high school. She got scholarships. She went through college. She has a Ph.D. in pharmacy. In fact, she owns her own pharmacy. She's brilliant. But not only is she brilliant, she's an excellent athlete. She was a star softball player. We've traveled all over this state watching her play softball. And a few years ago, she had a game, and it was so cold, we couldn't sit in the stands. My wife and I sat in the car and ran the heater and watched them play ball. And she'd run up and get in the car with us between innings and warm up. And she got in the back seat of that car. And all of a sudden she said, I got to go to the bathroom. Anybody know where it is? And I told her, I said, yes, honey, I had to find it earlier. It's right up there. They're right up there in that pavilion. He said she jumped out and went running up there. And the minute she came back, Knocked on the window, he rolled the window down. I said, what is it, honey? She said, Daddy, am I a hen or a rooster? <laughs> I'm from Alabama. I call that genius question. And I said, what did you tell her? He said, well, I told her she's a hen. She went off up there. She came back, got in, and I turned around and said, baby, don't you know the difference in a hen and a rooster? She said, oh, Daddy, I do. The rooster's the one that crows when he lays the egg. <laughs> so some of this generational stuff can get you in trouble. I just want you to know that. And 
And, uh, but I, I found that it's pretty healthy. If you just preach the word of God, you're pretty safe. We live in a world that's pretty amazing. Back in July, we celebrated 50 years ago, talking about technology and change. I can remember my family hovering around a little black and white television set, and with great bated breath, we stood and watched as history was made when an astronaut stepped onto the moon. That was pretty amazing. And then the space program advanced and we came up with a space shuttle. And I happened to be going by Redstone Arsenal one day and I saw the size of that thing and I thought, how in the world can they launch that into the sky and make it fly and send it into outer orbit and then bring it back and then they developed the the space station where they could dock up with it and leave humans in space and that's amazing stuff but I'm a pretty simple man it don't take great big huge things to amaze me I was watching a magician on TV one night and they brought a ton elephant out there and he made it disappear right in front of my eyes that was pretty amazing to me I had another magician they cranked a car about a half mile down a runway down there, and they showed them. They strapped him up. They chained his feet and his hands together. They, they put him in a pine box. They wrapped chains around it, put padlocks on it. They poured gas on it and stuck it on fire. And they let that car go, and before that car could run through that box, somehow he got out of all those chains and dove out and survived that crash. I thought, boy, that's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing to me tonight that if this microphone that I wear was attached to the right technology, people in the darkest part of Africa could hear me as I preach. That's pretty amazing. It's amazing to me that they could take a man, a woman, over to UAB Hospital that has a defective valve in his or her heart, lay them on a cold slab table, open their chest cavity and take that defective heart valve out and put one out of a pig in it and they could live healthy the rest of their lives. There are a lot of amazing things in the world today. But I've come tonight to talk about a something, a someone who's far more amazing than all of these things. His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ the Lord. He is the amazing Christ. He really is. Now I want to talk about it from three perspectives. One, I want to talk about the past revelation of the amazing Christ. Two, the present rejection of the amazing Christ. And then I'll finish by talking about the proclaimed return of this amazing Christ. Where I got this sermon was, Brother John, you'll know about this, and preachers, and maybe some of you good Bible students, there's a a Bible I got when I was in seminary. It's called the Gospel Parallels. Are you familiar with that? It's just a text that has the stories, the parables, the stories of the gospel. If it's in all four, they'll have them side by side, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
if it's in Matthew and John, they'll have those there. Or if it's in three of the four, they'll have them there. And you get to read the account of each one of the gospel writers. And so I decided I'd take that and use it as a devotional thing for a period of time in, in those days. And I was reading through that, and I was taken aback. It really got my attention that almost so often, and often many times, as you would read that, when Jesus would do something that only Jesus could do, you'll almost always find a phrase like, and they were amazed. Or they were sore amazed. And so as you begin to see that and watch that through the Gospels, you begin to see how amazed the people who lived contemporarily with Jesus were observing him and watching him. He was amazing. But that don't catch us off guard. We know he was amazing. I know he's amazing because you saved my soul. That's all I need. I know he's amazing because he walks with me and he talks with me. He's amazing. Let me, let me give you a few biblical examples. I, I don't want you to turn to all these. We don't have time. And then I'll come to our text in a minute. But in, in, in Matthew 12, verses 22 and 23, it's in the midst of a Pharisaic council. They're out to destroy the credibility of this Christ. They don't like him. They don't understand him. In fact, they don't agree with him and they hate him. They think he's something totally wrong. And they want to destroy him. They want to destroy his credibility. So in that... In that setting, they bring a blind and dumb man to him. And the Bible says that Jesus healed him. And there in verse 23 it says, And all the people were amazed. And then you get down to Mark chapter 1, verses 23 through 27, just after naming of his disciples. They bring a, a man with an unclean spirit to Jesus. And Jesus casts the spirit out and cleans that man and gives him a new life. And it says in verse 27, And they were all amazed. In Mark 2, 1 through 12, there's a fascinating story. The bringing of a paralytic and letting him down through the roof to be healed. You know that story. It's an amazing story. First of all, you have to understand, these four men who carried him there, they had already met Jesus. There's no other reason why. They'd do this. They met Jesus. Their need had been met. They saw this man. They saw he had a need. And they wanted to get him to the need meter. If he could save them, he could save him. If they could save him, if he could save them, he could heal him. So they picked him up and went on a journey. They went to where Jesus was. They came bringing. If you'll read that passage, you'll see it says over and again, they came bringing. Sunday morning I told you, you don't see people saved, you got to bring them. It's a biblical concept. They came bringing. If you'll bring them to Jesus, some of them will be healed. They got where Jesus was. There's a crowd of people. I call them need hinders. They were just there. They wanted to see. They wanted to hear, but they weren't doing anything but observing. Here they were wanting to get this man to Jesus. So what did they do? They overcame the need hinders. They carried him up on the roof. And they tore the roof up. And they got him to the need meter. And Jesus healed him. And there it says in verse 12, 
they were all amazed. In Mark 6, 47 through 51, Jesus walks on water. In verse 51, it says, and they were sore amazed. Can you, can you just see James looking over at John and saying, tell me, hey, tell me I didn't see what I just saw. Was he really walking on water? And then we come to our text in Mark 10, beginning in verse 23. And Jesus looked round about and said unto the disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished. There it is. That's the same word as amazed. They were amazed at his words. But Jesus answered again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished, amazed, out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, said, If you don't have this verse marked in your Bible, you ought to mark it. This is a help and a hope verse. It says, when men, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Aren't you glad? Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we've left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now and this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. And notice this verse. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them and read it. And they were amazed. He is the amazing Christ. He's the amazing Christ. That's the past revelation. Why is it that we know about Jesus? It's because of what the Word of God tells us about Jesus. And because of what we've experienced by asking him to save our souls. And experience every day because he does walk with us and talk with us. He lives in us and he lives through us. That brings me to my second point tonight. Not only is there a past revelation of the amazing Christ. But in this day and age there seems to be a present rejection of the amazing Christ. Now, Thomas, some of those old songs I was talking about. I grew up singing. We used to sing all the time in our churches. There's songs like Amazing Grace. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene. I will sing the wondrous story, marvelous grace of our loving Lord. They taught us to understand the amazingness of Jesus Christ, the Lord. But when God moves... It doesn't seem we stand amazed much anymore. When a person professes Christ as his or her Lord and Savior, we just don't seem to really get excited about that anymore. You know, I pastored for years, and it seemed like as I pastored, and I see it today as I do evangelism and preach, when somebody gets saved, I don't care who it is. It could be an 8-year-old boy. It could be an 18-year-old young lady. It could be a 27-year-old young adult, or it could be an 85-year-old adult. It doesn't matter who it is, but when somebody walks down the aisle of a church and gives their heart to the Lord Jesus, I'm telling you folks, the church ought to get excited about it. 
but we don't. The pastor says, now here's a new child of God. We want all of y'all to come today and welcome them into the family. Can I tell y'all, I believe God in heaven's rejoicing over the fact that a child has been found. I was pastor at First Baptist Church in Red Bay, Alabama. Your pastor knows Red Bay. Red Bay, you don't go through Red Bay going anywhere. You got to go to Red Bay. It's about 70 miles from Florence, his hometown, and 70 miles from Tupelo, Mississippi. And every time, we had a little old county hospital, but when a, a girl had a baby, they either went to Florence or they went to Tupelo, Mississippi. Back when I was pastor at Red Bay, they still kept them three or four days. Now they birth them and kick them out. But back in then, those days, they did. And, and I always saw that as a great opportunity when somebody in my church had a baby because I made it my responsibility as their pastor to go meet with them in the room after the baby had been born and to commission them and say, God has given you a great gift. At some point in time, this child is going to be old enough to be saved. And it's up to you for you to stay in church, keep them in church, teach them, teach them about Jesus so that when they get old enough, they come to Christ. Well, I got word that Mike and Lisa Stockton had had their baby. They were in Tupelo, Mississippi. It was a day kind of like today. It was about 112 in the shade. I didn't want to drive to Tupelo. But as a good pastor, I knew I had to, so I drove over there with the sole purpose of visiting them and getting back in my car and coming back to Red Bay. That's all I was going to do. So I drove over there, and when I got there, I knocked on her door. And Mike opened the door. said, hey, Brother Sid. I said, Mike, congratulations. I came to visit you and Lisa. He said, Brother, that's fine. She's in the shower. If you'll give us about 20 minutes, we'll be ready. I said, fine, I'll just wait right out here. Well, evidently she liked hot water. <laughs> I mean, I, had, I, it, it, I don't know how long she stayed in there, but it was longer than 20 minutes. I counted every tile on the floor. I counted every tile on the wall. I was, I was bored out of my gourd. I'm standing there, but well, is she ever going to get through? And, and all of a sudden down there, down there, and, and they had that window where they keep those newborn babies back behind that window, and all of a sudden they opened those blinds, and boom! There was a congregation of people, an instant congregation of people, and they were all, ooh, ah, ooh. And I thought, I'm going to check this out. So I went walking down there, and I saw what they were ooing and aahing about. They had had a baby boy. He was 11 and a half pounds. He's about that long, about that big. He was a chunk. I mean, this baby was so big, Ray Perkins at the time was coach at Alabama. He was already there with a letter of intent. I'm standing there looking at this baby. I'm thinking, I hope she's all right. All of a sudden down there, those Aluminum doors that go back to the living room. They just busted open. And now I don't know any other way to tell you all this. Just be, I'm just going to tell you the truth. He had the same build as Thomas, except he was this bow-legged. It was a Mississippi redneck. Registered. 
he had on a red T-shirt with cigarettes rolled up in the sleeve and one of those ball caps with a bill rolled up like this sitting on the back of his head. And here he comes like an egg beater strutting down through there. And he don't know me from Adam. And he drags me up by his side. He said, Mister, you see that boy right there? I said, it's hard not to. He said, that's my boy. He was excited about his boy. I, I, think, I think when somebody gets saved, if it's an 80-year-old boy or 17-year-old girl or 87-year-old, I don't care who it is, if they get saved in the church, God in heaven says, church, church. That's my boy. That's my girl. We're excited up here. What's wrong with y'all? I had a delivery nurse work in the living room in the hospital in my church. And she said, Brother Sid, when a baby's born in our delivery room, we, we have a philosophy. I said, what is it? She said, we think that, 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 that there ought to be warm hands to greet it and big smiles to welcome it. And a mother's love to smother it. And I thought, boy, is that not a picture of what a church ought to be? Is that not a picture of what a church family ought to be? When somebody gets saved, there ought to be warm hands to greet it, big smiles to welcome it, and a church's mother's love to surround it and smother it with love. Oh, people, listen to me. We don't get excited anymore when people get saved. But the other side of that is, we don't leave the church brokenhearted because nobody gets saved. i got to tell you all something. I'm going to just tell you. I was sad last night. I've never preached from my heart any harder for souls than I preached yesterday. And nothing happened by way of somebody getting saved. That concerned me. That's not to say we can't have a great revival. But it says something about what we've been asking you to do. is to get lost people here so some can get saved. We're not doing it. They're in. They're in is why we need revival in this church and every Southern Baptist church. We've got to get a burden for souls again, folks. Church has got to be more than just coming and sitting and listening and going. We've got to get a burden for souls. We're in a present rejection of the amazing Christ. When news comes that revival's broken out in a neighboring town or community, we, we don't stand amazed anymore. We don't get in the altar, fall on our face before holy God, and say, God, send it our way. God, we want to hear it, Mother Brook. Please, God, send revival. But rather, we begin to talk about judgmental terms or jealousy or what kind of gimmicks are they using over there this week when God intervenes and works a miracle it's difficult for us to step aside and give him total glory anymore I remember as a young preacher I heard Adrian Rogers tell a story about a southern woodpecker landed on a big pine tree started pecking for some reason God saw fit just to strike that tree with lightning Boom! And he just fell in a half like that. An old woodpecker fluttered back, looked at it, and flew off. In a little while, he flew back. Six of his buddies landed in the neighbor tree and said, tree and said all right, boys, there it is. 
Truth is, most people in the church anymore, they don't want to get involved unless it benefits them. Y'all remember, you guys remember your sister had that little old diary, had that little old belt lock on it, any bobby pin would pop open. Y'all remember that? Sally Jane had her diary. And her brother stole that diary. He ran down the woods to his hideout and he sat down on a stump. And he took his bobby pin and popped it open. First page said, Thought I'd die today. I saw Billy Taylor in the hall. Page two. I know I've died and gone to heaven now. Billy Taylor said hello this morning. Page three. Yep, I'm in heaven all right. Billy Taylor asked me for a date this Friday night. Page four. Went out with Billy tonight. We had a wonderful time, but I didn't let him kiss me goodnight. Next page. Had another date with Billy tonight. Oh, it's so much fun. Had a great time. But again, I didn't let him kiss me goodnight. P.S. Tonight, Billy Taylor told me that if we go out again and I don't let him kiss me goodnight, he's going to burn down the First Baptist Church in our town. Next page. Tonight, God used me to save 769 church members. Too often, we, we, we just don't get involved unless it benefits us. I, I'm amazed at what people are amazed at in this present day rejection of Christ. Here's a man over here who thinks true happiness is having an affair with somebody else's wife. And over here we've got young people who look for happiness and joy in chemical fixes or drugs of some kind. And then over here we've got young kids who are experimenting with sex illegally and wrongly and immorally. And all of a sudden, she gets pregnant. And the world tells her, that's all right. We'll provide you an abortion. And I'm amazed at how many men tonight seek courage out of a long-necked bottle rather than the living Word of God. These things are happening in the world today. But folks, they're happening right here in our churches. Why? Because there's a present rejection of the amazing Christ. Well, how do we change that? What, what are we going to do to change that mentality? How are we going to do away with this rejecting of Jesus, the Lord? How do we change that? I'll tell you how you do it. By letting the amazing Christ be seen and heard in our lives and in the lives of our churches. When, when others stand in our presence, they need to see Christ in us. When others hear us talk, they need to hear Christ. In us. I told you a little bit yesterday about how my life changed when Barbara died. Shortly after her death, I went back to work. The hardest thing I had to do was to go home every afternoon after work. I didn't know what to do with myself. I just didn't want to go home. Barbara and I had, a couple of years before she got sick, 
we had sketched us out a retirement plan. That was many years away yet, but our plan was, I had an old Ford 150 pickup that was using oil and needed a lot of work, but I was using it and trying to survive with it. And uh, so we decided we'd start saving some money. And in a couple, three years, we'd buy me a new truck. <coughs> the plan was that by the time I retired, we'd have that truck paid for. And when I retired, we'd buy her a new car, and we felt like that my truck, if I took good care of it, and the new car would get us through our retirement years. So that was our plan. But she died. I didn't want to go home in the afternoons, and I didn't know what to do with myself. So I finally decided what I'd do is I'd just go look at trucks. I had her car I didn't like, and I had my old truck, and I thought if I could find something, I might trade the two and get me a truck. So I started going anywhere within 50 miles. I'd drive to car lots, and I'd look at trucks and talk to them, and, and I found a truck I liked, but I had a problem. You see, she never had a new truck, and I couldn't buy it. I just could not make myself buy a new truck. So I went to see Brother Rick Rees. Rick Rees was my pastor, and I talked to him about it. He said, now, Sid, you know good and well, Barbara, won't you buy that truck? <coughs> well, I thought about that. I tried. I still couldn't. Excuse me. So my mama was still living. She lived with me. So I went in one evening to her room, and I sat down with her. I said, Mama, I need to talk to you. And I told her what I was going through, and she looked at me. She said, Now, son, you know Barbara wants you to buy that truck. I still couldn't pull the trigger. So I talked to my kids. Daddy, you know your mama. Mama would want you to buy that truck. So I bought it. I had a hard time, even though I'd bought it. Well, a few weeks later, I was preaching revival down in Clanton, Alabama. I'm from Chilton County, and Mama's from there. And, and uh, Barbara's hometown was Clanton. And I was preaching revival, good church. They ran about 350, 400. I had been there before, had a great meeting, and they'd asked me to come back and so Mama wanted to go with me every night. Well, it's about two hours from Oxford to Clanton. And, and Mama at the time was in kind of ill health, and she, don't, she didn't like staying in motels, so we'd drive back and forth every night. And on Tuesday, it was the end of the summer, and it, we'd had a terrible drought, and that day storms had come, and it broke the drought, and it was a fierce, fierce day of storming and so forth. I told Mama, I said, Mama, you really don't need to go now. I want to go, son. I said, Okay. We'll have to leave early because i got to get you down there and get you in the building. So we did. We got down to Clanton, and just as I pulled up to the church, just as I pulled up to the church, it was like God just stealed everything. It stopped raining, and I pulled up, and there was a handicapped spot there. I didn't have handicapped parking, but I had my mama. Nobody else was there. And so I pulled up in the handicapped spot, and I got out of my truck, and I was going to go around and get mama, get her in the, in the, the building, get her seated, and I was going to go back and park my truck where I was supposed to park it. Well, I got out of my truck, and this old man came bouncing out of the door of the church, and this is what he said. 
Bless God, if I could drive something like that, I'd preach. Oh, it flew all over me. I mean, it just ate me up. But I bit my tongue. I didn't say a word. I went around, I got Mama out, and I was coming around the truck with her, and he stopped me again. Yes, sir, that's a fine vehicle right there. I'd preach if I could have something like that. I looked at him, I said, sir, let me tell you about this truck. I said, I was saving money to buy me a truck. And my wife died. I took her car, I took my truck, I traded them on it, I had saved some money, I bought and paid for the truck. Didn't have nothing to do with me preaching the gospel. Didn't have anything to do with me preaching in your church and getting a love offering this week. My wife died and I bought a truck. And I went on in. I see the mama went and parked my truck. I went in and sat down. I was sitting on the front row. They're singing the special music. I got to get up and preach. And I'm so under conviction. I am so under conviction. I know I can't preach. I know I can't. So I got up. He was sitting right in the middle of the church, right in the middle. And I walked back there and climbed over a bunch of people I got right in front of him. I said, sir, I need to ask you to forgive me. I don't need to forgive you. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You need to forgive me. I, I don't apologize for what I said about my truck. But I was wrong in the spirit. I had a wrong spirit. And I can't preach unless I get forgiveness for it. And I can't get forgiveness unless I get your forgiveness first. Would you please forgive me? Okay. And he shook my hand, and I walked up, walked in the pulpit, and preached. 350, 400 people there that night. I preached a message on heaven. Heaven had gotten sweeter for me at that time since Barbara was there. I gave the invitation. One person came down the aisle. Guess who it was? It was that 78-year-old man. He came down and he asked the pastor if he could speak to the church. And the pastor said, okay. And he took the microphone, he stood up on the bottom step, and he looked out across that church, and here's what he said. He said, folks, I'm 78 years old. I've been in this church all my life. I've held every leadership position there is holding this church. I've been a deacon, been chairman of deacons, been chairman or, or superintendent of Sunday school, discipleship training. I've done it all. All those years I've done that, and I've known ever since I came into this church and started doing that stuff, I was a counterfeit Christian. I've known it. I was fooling all of y'all. But tonight, I saw Jesus, and I had to get saved. I gave that truck to God that night. But I tell that story not for any glory for me. I tell it for the glory of the Lord because when I did the right thing in Jesus' name, this man saw him and he got saved. It's important wherever you are, whatever you're doing, with whom you are and with whatever you're doing with them, that they see and hear Jesus in you. We need to receive, not reject the amazing Christ. Well, thank God the final chapter is not written. We have past revelation. The Bible says he was amazing. We have a present rejection. 
We just don't seem concerned much about lost people anymore. But we have the proclaimed return. Jesus is coming again. In 1942, a songwriter by the name of R.E. Winsett penned a song entitled, Jesus is Coming Soon. It's been covered by a number of artists. Perhaps the best known were the Oak Ridge Boys and Bill and Gloria Gaither. It was the song of the year in 1969. Some of the words were these. Jesus is coming soon, morning, night, or noon. Many will meet their doom. Trumpets will sound. All the dead shall rise righteous to meet in the skies, going where no one dies, heavenward bound. Love of so many cold, losing their home of gold, this in God's word is told. Evil abounds. When these signs come to pass, nearing the end at last, it will come very fast. Trumpets will sound. Troubles will soon be o'er, heaven forevermore, when we meet in the skies, free from all care. Rising up in the sky, telling this world goodbye, homeward we will then fly, glory to share. Jesus is coming again. Now what I want to talk about in these last moments is not so much that he's coming. I believe he's coming. I believe you believe he's coming. I believe it's biblical prophecy. I can say this. I don't see anything in the word of God that would prohibit his coming at this time. I believe all prophecy has been fulfilled. I think things are ready. I wouldn't be surprised if it happened before daylight tomorrow. It's ready. And when I look at the world and watch the news, it reads like Revelation. We're in the end times. But I think, I think our churches have a problem. I think they think Jesus is coming. They know Jesus is coming. But they so focus on that that they're not focusing on why we're still here. You see, he hasn't come because he's given you and me every opportunity we can to win the people we love to Christ so that they can go to be with us in heaven. You see, folks, the amazing Christ only becomes amazing when you accept him as your Lord and Savior. I heard about a pastor in a small town who invited a young preacher to come to his town and preach a revival. The young preacher was like me. He'd go anywhere to preach. And he said, okay. He said, now, son, wait a minute. Before you agree to come, I need to tell you what's going to happen. He said, I've been here a number of years. It's happened every revival I've had. There's an atheist in town. And he carries a lot of clout, a lot of weight in this town. And there's only one diner. And every day when we go to lunch down there, he's going to try to confront any guest preacher I bring in. So you have to know, you have to be prepared, that's going to happen to you. And the young man said, well, I, I think I can handle that. So he came on, he preached on Sunday, he preached on Monday, and they went to lunch at that diner on Tuesday, and sure enough, that old atheist was there. Well, 
pastor and a young preacher were sitting there eating their lunch, and all of a sudden the whole place quietened down. And the preacher said he heard the chair under the table over there where the atheist was sitting, sitting screech on the floor, and he turned and looked. Sure enough, here he came. He strutted across that floor. The diner was filled. It was full of capacity. Everybody knew what was about to happen. That old atheist looked down at that young preacher. He said, son, I want to ask you a question. The young man told me, he said, well, the preacher said you probably would. What is it? He said, uh, he kind of laughed. He said, son, tell me something. If there was a 19-year-old virgin girl walked in right now and told us she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, would you believe her? Young man thought about it a minute. He looked up at him and said, no, sir, I wouldn't believe that. No, I wouldn't believe that. They said, well, glory be, we finally got an honest preacher in the crowd. He turned and started walking off. He got about halfway across the restaurant, and that young preacher stood up and said, but, sir, if she had that baby, and he grew up, and he's able to make blind people see and deaf people hear and lame people walk and dead people live and you and your crowd took him out on a hill and murdered him and buried him in a tomb and three days later he got up. Yes, sir, you better believe I'd believe her. So many have never accepted Jesus. They're not ready for his coming. And here's what I know about that. You know one of them, or two of them, or a dozen of them. And probably, truth be told, you hadn't been very burdened about their soul. That's not being very Christ-like, is it? But preacher, you know what? I have a hard time witnessing. I don't, I don't, I don't know those verses. If, if, if I wanted to lead somebody to Jesus, I wouldn't know how. Well, it's not too difficult. You better be able to tell somebody how you got saved. I think if you know John 3.16, you tell somebody how you got saved, you got a pretty good chance of leading them to Christ. Let me ask you a question, and I'm going to ask you. How many of you people here tonight, how many of you would really, really love to lead some lost soul to Jesus? How many of you would love to do that? I hope every one of you would. Then what's keeping you from doing it? It will transform this church if you start doing it. You see... If you're here tonight and you're saved, you're an amazing product, saved by an amazing person, serving with amazing potentiality. Other people deserve to see and hear Jesus in you. I found a clipping, I clipped out, and I'm going to read it, and I'm going to be through. It was in reference to Jesus, and it said these words. In chemistry, Jesus turned water to wine. 
In biology, he was born without the normal conception. In physics, he disproved the law of gravity when he ascended into heaven. In economics, he disproved, disproved the law of diminishing return by feeding 5,000 men with two fishes and five loaves of bread. In medicine, he cured the sick and the blind without administering a single dose of drugs. In history, he's the beginning and the end. In government, he said that he shall be called Wonderful Counselor and the Prince of Peace. And in religion, he said, no one comes to the Father except through him. He is the amazing Christ. My prayer tonight is that you know him. And my prayer is that if you don't tell somebody about him, you'll get a burden to do so and want to. That is revival. So let's see if you want it tonight. Let, let, let's see if you really want revival. Here, here's the invitation. If you're lost, if you're lost tonight, you need the amazing Christ. And I guarantee you after this sermon, if you'll come and be saved tonight or come and let us talk to you about your salvation, get it straightened out, this church will rejoice, won't we, church? But the invitation is this. I want to ask you, who's that person that you love the most that's the closest to hell that you want to see saved? I believe there's sanction, I, I believe there's, there, there's sanction in coming to this altar and calling somebody by name before holy God and saying, God, I pray that you'll give me the opportunity. And when you give me the opportunity, I'll be bold enough and wise enough to take it and do it so that they can come to Christ. I'm going to ask you to do that tonight. If you really want revival, we've got to get back to that. Pastor, I, I don't know what you preach. I assume you're preaching the same vein I'm preaching. But folks, if we don't get a desire and a burden for souls again, we're just doing church. Can I tell you one more thing? There's a big difference in doing church and being church. If you want to be church, you've got to be an ambassador for Jesus. The amazing Christ.